Welcome to the Brain Trust Driving Change Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Bloomfield. Whether you're a leader, a coach, a salesperson, or even a parent, this podcast focuses on how to leverage the science of decision making to help you become a more impactful communicator and a driving force for change. Welcome back to the Driving Change Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Bloomfield, and today I've got a special treat for you. I've actually turned the tables on myself. In this week's episode, I actually get interviewed by world-class performance coach David Morelli. Uh, David Morelli each year does a peak performance a week, leader week this year he called it, and he has hundreds of thousands of participants virtually. And um, I was fortunate enough to be one of his guest speakers this year. And I think you'll get a lot of value out of not only the conversation David and I had, but just how he coaches and a lot of the resources that came with that program. So give this a listen and I hope you enjoy. Have you ever struggled with knowing that you have something of value that you need to communicate or that you want to get across to somebody, but you don't know how to do it in a way that compels them? Well, this talk is going to go into the neuroscience of how to sell your ideas to people and how to persuade others. I am so excited for this. Uh, My guest today is one of my good friends. His name is Jeff Bloomfield. He is a leader in the space of neuroscience as well as Uh, coaching, leadership, and uh, communication, as well as sales. So he is uh, one of my favorite people in the world, honestly. And so that's why I've invited him here for you. So uh, Jeff, I'm so excited to have you. Let's uh, let's go ahead and dive into this topic and dive into uh, how neuroscience works, but starting with you. Like, what, tell me about your story. How, like, how did you get here and interested in neuroscience and, and positioning yourself as uh, Brain Trust CEO uh, who is leading the masses? Well, masses is a matter of perspective, I suppose. But you know, we uh, <laughs> we are we are honored to to uh, to be able to work in so many different various realms and industries, and I'm honored to be here. I mean, I can't I can't believe I get to be a guest after all the success that that you've had in your own career. And so I can't wait to talk about this topic. And before the audience starts to drift off and want to shove pencils in their eyes when they hear the term neuroscience, I promise you, uh, we will make it interesting and engaging in a way that you'll be able to find use for you in whatever role you're in. So you asked the question, you know, where did, where did I get How did you get to this crazy this, place? Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because if you'd talked to me for 10 minutes, you wouldn't believe I didn't know anything about the inner workings of the brain. But it actually, <laughs> the, the passion for me, and stay with me, gang, out there, because I promise that this story will have a point. Um, the passion for me began a long, long time ago uh, on a farm in the middle of Ohio. I had a grandfather, my papaw, who was this amazing influencer. So we talk about persuasion today, right? He was one of those guys that when he talked, everyone else in the room stopped talking. When he had something to say, it was always meaningful. It was always intentional. He had this weight of tea. He taught me how to drive when I was five, standing between his knees on our old green John Deere tractor. And, you know, we're going up and down the rows and he would just teach me about life and hard work and perseverance. And he, he taught me that problem solvers rule the world. And, and for Papaw, he would dump a box of parts out on the barn floor and see if I could fix a lawnmower engine. But of course, I'm eight years old. I have no idea what I'm doing. But rather than right. giving me the answer, he would coach me to discovering the answer. And that was really his whole problem solvers rule the world mentality that's carried forward in my own personal life. He taught me what I believe many of you probably out there believe as well. We call it the platinum rule. If you treat other people better than they expected you to treat them, not only does it benefit them, but it always comes back to you as well. Now, you might be, well, Jeff, why are you teaching us or telling us this story? Well, on February 2nd, 1982, I got off the school bus in the snowy snow drifts of Ohio and headed down the 50 yard long driveway of Papal's like I did every day after school. And normally it was just his green Chevy Silverado, but on this day it was pretty full of cars. And within seconds of me getting to the porch, an ambulance came down the driveway. Mm. And what I didn't know as they took him out on the stretcher that day, would that be the last day I would see him alive? I was crushed. He was my sage. He was my mentor. He was my teacher. Um, He taught me pretty much everything I needed to know in life uh, in the short time I had with him. What I didn't also know was he had stage four lung cancer. Now, this was a pivotal time for me because he wanted me to be the first person in our family to get a college degree. 
I had to be the legacy, right? He, we were poor. We were blue collar from the holler. He moved up from Kentucky when my dad was just a little boy. So that drove me to go to college. I'll fast forward the story. I ended up in biotech. I got to help commercialize a drug for lung cancer of all things. How about that for wow. divine intervention? Yep. And, and as, as I started to work through my roles in, initially in sales, they trained me, and maybe you all out there might resonate with this. They trained me by memorizing as many facts, figures, features, benefits of, of any that I could possibly memorize. In our case, cell biology, cell proliferation, and randomized placebo-controlled study data. And then they asked me to communicate that information to persuade a doctor to write this drug. Um, but I didn't actually communicate that way. I learned all the information. But when I went out, I actually communicated differently. I communicated the way that Papal showed me as a, as a boy. I told stories, I used analogies and I connected and I just did things in a little different way, having no idea why they worked. I just knew that I grew up that they seemed to work. And and by the way, my numbers went through the roof and nobody that rode with me understood. They said, he doesn't do anything we've taught him to do. All he does is tell stories. Now I didn't, again, I didn't understand David either, but they kept promoting me, kept promoting me. And they asked me to build a team to launch a drug for brain cancer. I thought, Mm -hmm. well, I probably ought to learn a little bit about the brain before we you know, go out there with the, with the message to the masses. But the more I studied the brain, the more I became just fascinated and then obsessed with not just the biology, the structure of our brain, but the psychology and the physiology. And then how all three of those areas work in unison to actually drive decision making. And I became yeah. so obsessed. I'm like, first of all, Papal was a genius. He just had an eighth grade education. But yet here's the scientific rationale as to why he was such a great persuasive communicator. The second thing, David, was that nobody I'd worked with at the world's leading biotech company truly understood this aspect of neuroscience because we only looked at it through either a medical clinical lens or through an yep. academic lens. We weren't looking at it through a practical lens of communication. So I just dove in. And then 10 and a half years ago, we moved the family back to Ohio, to Cincinnati. We started Brain Trust with a singular purpose. If we could help teach individuals how they are wired and how the people they're trying to persuade are wired biologically and psychologically and physiologically, we can help yep. them communicate with more purpose and more power and more persuasive impact. So there's that's my why. It's why I do what I do and why I can't wait to, to, to teach this stuff to the people at Peak Performance Week. Awesome. I love that. And so here's, here's what, I, what I love is that you can use that science for anything. I know we, we talked about that we're going to cover really three main areas. One being uh, if you have an idea that you want to get across, and that could be and that value that you want to convey. That could be you have an idea, let's say you want to sell it to your boss or you want to sell it to you know, anyone within the organization and, and to get them to adopt that idea. Because I don't know about you, but I find that people have great ideas at all levels of the organization, but great ideas go unheeded uh, or listened to, so to speak, because people just don't know how to communicate that. And that's having coached at all levels of organizations. I have to say that is one of the most painful experiences is like, wait a second, I had that idea six months ago, 10 months right. ago, like whatever it is, but they just didn't understand me. And then people get mad about that, but they get mad about it because they don't realize, oh, I didn't communicate it in the right way. So that being one of the areas. Another is uh, you have an idea called, I'm a great potential employee, right? And so you're in an interview space and you're having to communicate who you are, or obviously, right, you're in sales. And if you're in sales, then you have all kinds of things. You have a product or a service or whatever it is you're promoting. But all three of those really matter as far as how you come across. So I'm really excited to have this conversation because I think it will give a foundation for us to understand not only, like you said, ourselves, but also how to communicate with other people in a way that has our ideas really come across. And and they can stand on their own merit rather than them being sort of obscured by miscommunication. And I think that's that's really the opportunity here, right? We all have great ideas. Right. Let's make sure they're coming across right. Well, so there's good news and bad news. Okay. Um, all right, so I'm gonna give you the bad news first. The bad news is, is all of us, every human being, is really set up biologically to not be very persuasive because nobody trusts us. Mm. The good news is, yep. there's a way to actually facilitate that trust in a way that people are more open 
to being persuaded by you. And, and we, 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 at Brain Trust, we call this self-preservation orientation, that every human being, their default setting is self-preservation. Now, yeah. obviously, this is rooted in survival, and you can't help it. It's part of your biology. It's the brain's, you know, the, the brain is built first and foremost to ensure the survival of the host, <laughs> right? Yep. Uh, you can't help it. You can't help it. But the problem is when it comes to trust, and see, this is where so many people out there that when you're trying to communicate an idea or, or even an interview, or it doesn't really matter what it is, you're coming at it from a self-serving perspective without even realizing it. And what happens is it triggers the wrong mechanism in the brain or the mind of the audience, the listener um, that you're trying to influence because they're in skepticism mode. Yeah. Um, because guess what? They are in self-preservation mode. So everybody looks at, through this lens of almost risk mitigation. And, and this is a really important point. I hope everyone can hear on this is that not until someone instinctively trusts you personally, are they truly open to how you might actually help them professionally or be open to being persuaded by you to change in any way, shape, or form? Yet, the way most people communicate, we communicate in a way that actually drives further distrust and skepticism, yeah. right? So, first and foremost, it's important that we just, we call it out. We recognize it. We pull it from our unconscious to our conscious, and we say, what are my motivations? Yep. So, I have this great idea. I'm about to go into this meeting with, as I'm a product manager of a marketing group, and, and let's just use an example. And I got this great sure. idea yep. for a new marketing campaign, and I'm going to go and I'm going to blow the doors off everybody. They're going to want to adopt this idea, and it's going to be great. And, but the way I go in and communicate that is, hey, look at me. I'm the smartest. Mm. I'm the brightest. I've got another great idea. And if you all do this, we'll win. And the people look at it and go, well, no, you're actually not the brightest. You're not the smartest. And your ideas usually stink. Now, that's not normally the, always the case, right? But because the way you came across, I yeah. am now putting up a barrier to being influenced by you, okay? So right. when it comes to trust, this is such an important point because the neurochemistry will tell us, this is the physiology piece, that if I feel like you actually care about me, mm-hmm. something magical happens in my brain. It starts to produce and release oxytocin. And yep. when oxytocin Bonding. gets released, yep, it's, yep. it's, the, it's yep. care, connection, empathy, and trust uh, start mm-hmm. to really get secreted in the neurons of the brain. And I start to like you. I start to feel a connection with you. And I start to trust you personally. Once that happens, my defenses go down. I don't view you as a threat any longer. I view you as an actual ally. And so, therefore, I'm already starting to, my brain is already starting to be primed to be receptive to new ideas from you. Uh, this is such an important point because most of us try to be trustworthy by being more credible. And the thing that we think that we can be more credible by convincing you about how smart I am or how accomplished I am or how great my ideas are. But that doesn't work because my brain views that as a threat that you're trying to convince you know, me, right? Does this make sense? Yeah, this makes a ton of sense. And, and in fact, I'm realizing that in our, whether you intended it or not, uh, in our dynamic as we were getting to know each other, the, the moment that I found uh, that we had our strongest bond was when you said, hey, by the way, here's this weird video that my daughter and I filmed on TikTok that just blew up. Like we're doing this crazy dance in our driveway, right? And it, it gave me the, the sort of warmth and connection with you. And the more that you can lower defenses, that's what I'm hearing you say, more that you can lower defenses rather than to raise them through arrogance or through trying to be you know, the smartest person in the room. The more that you can do that, the more that you're going to be able to communicate. It's almost you build a, road, a roadway to convey ideas on that likability factor versus on the credibility factor. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. And, and people, you'll probably chuckle if you're listening out there. How many times have you in your organization adopted a, an idea that ended up being the dumbest idea that anyone come up, came up with all year, but because the person who delivered it was so daggone persuasive because they were so daggone likable, everybody went with it. <laughs> so yeah. you, can, you, you can be the other, other end of the spectrum, right? But the idea here is we're just trying to get these ideas across. So yeah. the more likable yep. that you are, the more connecting you are, the more likely you are to be persuasive. And with yep. authenticity, though, that's the key, right? You can't be fake. You can't yep. be, you know, 
cheesy. This has to be genuinely an authentic place. And I'll add one more thing to this. We, we tell our clients and I tell like even guys I mentor the same thing. There's a secret to making people believe that you care about them. You know what it is? You actually have to care about them. <laughs> oh. oh, obviously. What I was going to say was, but think about it, David. Now, now you are about to go into that same marketing meeting. Are you worried about the five people in the room that you're about to pitch this idea to and what they're thinking and what they're feeling and what their stressors are and what's causing them to be uh, stay awake at night and, and, and what their last job review meant to them and, and what's happening in their home with quarantine? And are, are you worried about that? Or are you worried about whether they will like your idea? Mm. Because one is self-preservation oriented yep. and one is others oriented. Yep. And it's, it goes against your biology. Back to the bad news. Yep. Yep. But those who can create the neural pathways to start thinking about the, uh, the audience they're about to actually communicate with, they will naturally wire in their own brains the ability to communicate in a more trustworthy way around things that that audience cares about. I love that. As you're, as you're speaking, one, one line keeps popping up in my awareness, which is arrogance creates distance, mm. right? I mean, and the arrogance is, oh, it's about me. Actually, your, your presentation, your communication or whatever is about them. That's what I'm hearing you say, right? And so Absolutely. the more that, you can, more that you can put your attention over there and to create that bond, the more likely it is that they're, they'll be persuaded by you. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. And here's why that's so important. Arrogance is perceived as creates distance because I see you as a threat. Yeah. When it's about you, Guess what? It's about you. Therefore, because I'm about self-preservation, subconsciously, yeah. I see you as a threat. You become yep. more risky to me. And yep. because you're communicating about things that you only care about, that means that I'm going to lose and you're going to win. And yep. because I'm a self-preservation and I'm a risk mitigator, my brain is automatically saying, foe. Yes. Back to the bushes, right? Back to the Serengeti. <laughs> right. You might as well right. be a saber-toothed tiger coming out of the bush uh, to me, to my subconscious brain. Right, right, which is the one that mainly makes decisions, right? There's that, that sort of, yeah, yeah. And that, so that, let's, let's talk more about, uh, so we ha- these are some of the mechanisms that happen, right? So the likability versus credibility, which, which you lead with and how that works. I imagine credibility will just come out in the, on the merit of the idea or in various ways to seed it. I, I imagine that's sort of in there. What are some other like big mistakes that people make around trying to be persuasive or trying to get their ideas to come across? It's a very good question, David. I'm glad you asked. Um, So (laughs) one of the things, one of our favorite research partners is Dr. Tony Jack. And Dr. Tony Jack in the last decade has done a ton of work in the space where he's done functional MRI to see how the brain is processing information in which order and how influential that information is based on where it's getting processed in the brain. And what he found is, is basically the the brain is two networks, the analytical network, and then the emotional empathic network. And you, here's the key. He found it, and this is science, so you can't dispute it, right? He found that you cannot activate. (laughs) No arguing. No arguing with me on this. (laughs) You You cannot activate both of those networks at the same time. You have to vacillate between them. So that was really fascinating. But more importantly, what he found was that the analytical network is not open to being persuaded. It's not built that way. It's only Mm. open for analysis and evaluation. Whereas the emotional empathic network is open to persuasion. It is open to new ideas. It's open to change. And so what he found is that if you really want to be an influential communicator, you have to not just vacillate between the two networks. You have to engage the emotional empathic network because that's the activator of change, of persuasion, of decision-making. And then the analytical network is used to validate and justify. So you ask the question, what mistake people make? They make the mistake of actually trying to use information to convince, information and data to persuade. And they're activating the wrong network in the brain, which is causing distrust. And, 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 And Tony found in his research, not just distrust, it can actually damage relationships by, by mm. staying in that analytical network because it's so not wired for that. Here's the, here's the thing that I, I can hear, right? People who are, you know, engaging this material, they think, 
wait a second, you just destroyed 90 plus percent <laughs> of my next presentation or the way that I commute. Like, that's what I, I rely on logic. Like, come yeah. on, Jeff, like what, what do you mean? So I'm actually destroying trust by trying to give facts and figures. So how would you like, I know that this is how the brain processes that emotions right. are actually the main decision maker and, or the, the ones the that network is able to be persuaded. So where do we go if we're making that mistake? Like, what do we do? Yeah, one, one thing is you just have to recognize you're doing that and know that the data information facts, they aren't bad, they're necessary. It's the order of information and how it gets communicated. So here's the way that I like to describe it. Uh, when you're trying to persuade someone to do something different, they first have to come to the recognition that they need to do something different. And in, right. and in order to come to that recognition, they have to believe there's a problem with what they're currently doing. Yep. Now, think about this in the two networks. Problems, by their very nature, evoke emotion. Facts, figures, data, products, those things naturally evoke judgment or evaluation. Mm -hmm. So if, you're, if you get this great idea, we'll call the idea your product, right? You're, you're, you're trying to go in and pitch this new idea. The brain perceives that as a data point. If all you do is tell me how great that idea is and all the data right. or the points around it. So it's analytical network. I'm going to evaluate it. And, and yes, I can eventually potentially come around to your way of thinking, but it causes me to have to process that, push it down into my emotional empathic network, determine if there's any validation of meaning to what I care about, to what yeah. I'm trying to solve, to what's evoking my emotion. And then I push it back up to, to evaluate it again from a logical standpoint. So it, it just takes the process way too long to do it that way. And so, you're kind of making them work too hard is kind of what I hear also. If you're not appealing to the right network, you're making them work too hard, which means they may get lost. They'll, well, they'll eject from the process. Yeah, um, right. Because the brain is the highest calorie consumptive organ in our body. It's constantly looking for ways to reduce the energy consumption. And if you make me work too hard on something, I'm checking out. How do you build this emotional side? What, what are some of the the ways that you can build the emotions if the emotions are the thing that are actually being persuaded or the way that people are persuaded? So first and foremost, how you communicate initially um, yeah. on, on purpose, right? You want to make sure that you're being intentional about demonstrating your own personal trustworthiness. And yep. part of the way you do that is just by being vulnerable, is, yeah. is, is sharing yeah. a piece of who you are. Um, you know, for you, I shared my, when we first met back in the day, I shared my papa story with you. I shared my TikTok video with my daughter, like you mentioned earlier with you. Yeah. I just showed some, believe me, if you see that video, it's vulnerable. <laughs> There's some vulnerability. That's um, great. And what happens in that moment is, is whether you're doing public speaking or whether you're up in front of just a group of three in your, in your, in your meeting to try to influence an idea or whether you're in a job interview, the other people in that room have to view you as safe, as yeah. trustworthy. And the quickest yep. path to trustworthiness is, is authenticity and vulnerability. And if yeah. you can communicate that, so we're going to give them a little bit of a specific way to do that in a few minutes with the roadmap and the steps. So, so that's the first key point is that I have to be able to, to reduce your own stress so you don't view yeah. me as a threat. And then I, yep. you see I'm trustworthy. Now you're at least now you're open to hearing a little bit more. Next, do you even understand who I am? Do you care about me, mm. the person you're communicating with? And can yeah. you demonstrate that at all? And, and you know, the big, the big word everyone uses in psychology and in coaching is empathy. And yeah. are, do you, because you're, remember, your self-preservation orientation is kicking in, you have to fight that in order to show the group you're talking to, the person you're talking to, that you actually understand them. You care about them. If you do that, empathy happens. Guess what happens? Even more oxytocin gets released. And now not only do they not view you as a threat, they actually view you as a friend. Because yes. people that understand us and can communicate how they understand us and they, and they show that, we can't help but like them naturally. Yep. Okay? So you yep. still tracking with me? I'm tracking. I'm tracking. Now, I appreciate now, it. Yeah. We're massaging the brain beautifully here, right? Um, and by the way, gang, this is not <laughs> manipulation. This is not manipulation. This is simply the way that we are biologically built. And when you understand this, if you want to have more influence and more impact, you'll learn how to communicate this way because it actually benefits the people you're communicating with. If you believe you know, that, it'll make a difference. 
I love that. You know, what, what this makes me think of is you have a goal, right? So if imagine that you're trying to go from your house to your favorite place, whatever, that's not your house, right? And what, I, what I'm hearing is everybody for the most part takes a bumpy road, takes side streets. There's lots of uh, either traffic or, you know, there, there's stuff that gets in the way as you're trying to drive this road. But ultimately what you're showing us how to do is, here's how to get on the highway right. to get to your point and your destination faster. Because you never start off with an idea saying, you know what, I want to screw this up, right? Like right. I, want to, I want to communicate this so poorly that everybody rolls their eyes uh, and then you know, goes away saying, can you even believe that? Everybody wants on the other side though, they want to get to the destination called communicating their idea in a persuasive way. And again, that's, you have an idea and you want to, let's say, pitch it to your boss or pitch it to a colleague or whomever. You have, you know, you're trying to pitch yourself in an interview, or you might have a product that you're, you're sort of pitching. And I don't like the word pitching, and I know you don't either, but it's that you're formulating how to get there. And so I really appreciate you showing us where the highway is, because I got to tell you, it takes a lot longer to do the other one. And sometimes you never make it to the destination that you want before, like the plug is pulled, right? right. So um, I'm really appreciative of how you're, you're helping us map it out. So before we get into how we're going to apply this stuff in the formula, what else do we need to know to set the stage for that to be uh, sort of maximized, that experience to be maximized? Well, I think it comes back to then, if you think about in any given conversation, I'm going to call anything, anytime you're communicating with another human being on any level of conversation, right? Yep. And, yep. and you're looking to be persuasive in that conversation, um, which, by the way, is not found in social media. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what? that anyone in the history of the earth since the beginning of social media has ever changed their mind about something after seeing a post in social media, but that's a sidebar. Um, okay. <laughs> or by the way, uh, the sort of credibility versus likability, you know, like yeah. here's me having lunch with this high level person. And you're kind of like, uh, really? like, you know, here's me with, right. 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 Yeah. So that's exactly actually where I was going to go, David, is that when you think about whether you're, maybe you're giving a keynote talk, maybe you're just talking in a, in a meeting at work, maybe you're on a job interview. The, the question I have for you is, is what are the words coming out of your mouth doing to make life better for the person yeah. who's hearing them? Yeah. If you can't answer that question, they will not be persuaded by you. And so if, but if you start to think about how you craft that story, if you will, uh, regardless of the setting, and you start to think about the other person, think about the audience, and even someone saying, wait a minute, I'm on a job interview. This is supposed to be about me. That's the mistake most job interviewees make. They think mm -hmm. the job interview is about them. It's not. It's about the hiring manager. And when yep. you go into a job interview, having adopted that mindset, it changes the whole entire narrative that you communicate to them. And by the mm -hmm. way, it changes their entire perception of you on the interview. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, if I think about that, just to, to play with that, uh, the hiring manager is hiring you because they have goals. They have things they're accountable for. They have uh, places they want to put their time, right? They, they have to fulfill on their promises. And so if you can, to, to your point, if you can understand those and come in and say, I want to help you accomplish your goals, that's much different than saying, here are all the goals I've accomplished. Exactly. Is that fair? Absolutely fair. Not only is it fair, do you think that nobody else came in and said, here's all the goals I accomplished that are also right. interviewing for that job? You don't right. differentiate yourself. And yeah. again, even in an internal meeting, you don't differentiate yourself when you're trying to sell an idea. When all you do is come in and talk about all the other ideas that you have or all the other ideas yeah. you sold or whatever. So this is such an important point that so many people miss. And sometimes it requires a little bit of work, right? You got to do the research. You got to understand your audience. You have to put yourself in their shoes, back to the empathy word, and recognize that, you know, yes, a hiring manager, he's, he or she is filling a position because they have a need, but that need solves a problem for their organization. You need to not only understand the need, you need to understand the problem, and then you need to understand the cost of not solving that problem for the audience you're communicating with, and boom, you have my attention. You're communicating right, right into the, the, the emotional empathic network the whole time. Yep. Absolutely. So this is, uh, this is great. This is great foundation. I think, uh, I think we're about ready 
to move into the the four-step formula, right? The four-step persuasion formula. And so as we're transitioning into this, um, what I'd like to invite you as you're watching this to do is come up with a problem that you want to solve or an idea you want to convey and have it be specific. We'll talk about the specifics of how it might apply in the various contexts, but I want you to have something in your mind to say, this is a big idea that I have and treat this as a workshop. We're going to workshop this idea. And again, if you have the workbook, uh, you can follow along in that and actually go through the steps. Uh, that's, that's a part of what we wanted to give to you. So um, Jeff, let's go ahead and transition into the, the four-step persuasion formula. Perfect. All right. So where do so, we start? Step one, as we mentioned earlier, I want you to check yourself before you wreck yourself. <laughs> as, they, <laughs> as they say, let's, right. let's, let's do a mindset check. Before yep. you are in a position to open your mouth, do you have the right mindset? Are you thinking about the implications of what you're trying to communicate in as much as from the other person's perspective? Yeah. If you can do that and you can start to frame that up that way, you'll start to build those neural pathways that make you just generally more empathetic. Yeah. Um, every single time. I don't care if it's an internal meeting. I don't care if it's a job interview. I don't care if it's a sales call. I don't care if you're making marketing collateral for social media. Are you thinking about the receiver of that information and the implications right. that it has on them? So mindset, number one. Now, yep. that's, the, that's the big overarching. It's not the first step. That's the big overarching. That's the umbrella over everything. Yep. Because yep. if you get that wrong, none of the rest of it matters. <laughs> right. And so what are some of the questions that we might ask ourselves, right? So do I have the right mindset or what's their perspective? What, what are some of the things that might go into their perspective? I imagine like goals, values, like that kind of stuff. What, yeah. what is it that you sort of guide people towards? So the way that I think about it is, Here's a good way. I do a lot of keynote speaking. I know you do as well. And it may not apply to everyone listening, but the the example will apply across more than keynote speaking. Whenever I'm about to go do a keynote talk, this is when I used to do them live before quarantine. When I used to go do these talks, I I always want a cross section of as many details about the audience as as they'll provide for me. And then I want to know exactly where they're coming from. Both, not just, I want to know ethnicity. I want to know demographics. I want to know everything I can about them. And then I want to know, you know, why are they there to begin with? Is it a company event? Is it something that's a conference? You know, what are they there seeking? Because Mm -hmm. they wouldn't be sitting in that chair if they weren't there seeking something to make their Mm -hmm. life better, something to help them solve a problem. So if you think about asking yourself that question first, regardless of the environment, what is the audience seeking right now? Um, and, 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 And how am I personally equipped to help them find it? Now, that's all about who? Them. So so that's the question. Now, let me give you a watch out question to ask yourself. What things or what ideas or what communication am I apt to communicate that will trigger my own self-preservation? It's my tendency. So so call call that out in yourself. What what is my tendency? Because what you focus on is what you'll end up finding yourself talking about. And so ask yourselves those questions. It's about them first. And then what are those roadblocks that you tend to triggering things that you tend to focus on that are your, they're self-motivated. You know, here's one thing that I I'm aware of in working with people on presentation skills and and coaching people as well. Um, A lot of times, some of those self-preservation moments can just be the, uh Oh, am I, am I coming across? Right. Do they, do they like me? Right. It's, so it's not just about, hey, I'm going to try and be arrogant. Sometimes it can be the opposite of that. And it's almost like managing the voice that tears yourself down. Is that, do you I'm so find glad that you brought that well? up. Because Yes, I was going to close the mindset piece out with that. The, the, the great irony here is the things that drive us back into self-preservation communication are generally fear-driven. And, and it creates mm. a cycle, ironically, that produces the exact opposite effect of what we're trying to do from a communication standpoint. And right. so, you, so, so what am I afraid of is, another, is the last great question to ask yourself. Mm-hmm. I'm about to go into this situation and communicate X, Y, and Z. What, are, what am I most afraid of? And if your answer is, I'm afraid they won't like me, I'm afraid they won't like my idea, I'm afraid I won't come across credible, I'm afraid, then guess what? You have the wrong mindset. If 
And this is, takes development, right? You got to work on yourself yes. to get there. But if your question is, I'm afraid I won't actually help them solve their problem. You're in the right mind frame. If you're going to have got fear, it. the fear shouldn't be of you failing. It's of, of you failing yourself. It should be of you not being able to help them because that's about yeah. them. And it actually reduces your own fear of your own failure. Yeah. Does that make sense? I love that. That makes a lot of sense. And, and yeah. it's putting the attention on the right spot, right? Any version of the attention being on you, meaning your own attention. Yeah. It sounds like you're in that dissonance space. The degree to which you're focused on them really putting your attention on them and reading the room and the nuances, not <laughs> reading the digital airwaves in terms of how you present <laughs> online, right? But, but putting your attention over there really helps your attention be attuned to where the road is. It's almost like if you're driving down the road and your whole attention is, let's say on a phone, sort of in your, in your own car, you are much more reckless than if you're just looking out the right. windshield, right? And you're looking at where you're going and who it is that is around you. If your attention is there, you're much safer. And that sort of mindset sounds like it could apply to uh, this persuasiveness. Absolutely. And, and let me address one other thing before we move into the four specific steps. You mentioned yep. sometimes in the moment, we're, we're actually on the stage, if you will, whether it's in, in the boardroom or across the desk in an interview or in a sales call or, or literally on a stage speaking. And, and we get pushback or we get yep. a question or we get a challenge, something that our, our subconscious mind will send up a red flare and say, oh, there's a challenge to the narrative. And what happens is it increases your adrenaline spikes, your cortisol gets elevated. And, and rather than you comfortably and calmly recognizing that that question is coming from their own place of fear and not yours, you don't see it that way. And so all of your mechanisms of fight or flight, yep. and your amygdala gets activated. And then you just start trying to convince them why you were right to start with, which triggers yep. a whole cascade of distrust. Yep. So makes a, makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Now yeah. it's, it's, it's hard, right? Cause you got to recognize again, you're fighting your own biology here. You have to yep. condition yourself like a finely tuned machine or an athlete in the moment you have to condition yourself and beliefs drive behaviors. And so if you yep. believe that you're there to add value to someone else, that will drive the behavior that you need. Yep. So, Love it. All right. So yeah, let's get into, let's get into some of these nitty gritty tactics, right? Because I want to take that. Um, I'm hoping that we can take their idea and put it through the process, right? The four-step process in order to have extremely persuasive communication come out the other side. Perfect. And we've, we've, so addressed, where do we start? Yeah, we've addressed some of these steps um, in concept. Let's put them into practice, right? Yeah. So step one is you have to create that genuine connection. That's the yes. personal trust. And what I, a, way to, a simple way to start this is to create your own mini why story. You know, yeah. why do you do what you do? The why story. You've probably heard of it at this point. Lots of people communicate it and teach it different ways. For us, what we have found is if you can think of just two to three universal characteristics or beliefs that you have, that you think make you trustworthy, that yeah. are universal, right? That are connecting, that other people will look at and go, oh, I'm that way. I, I believe yeah. that. Um, then think about where you learned them from. So it's not about you. That's why the sage can be very helpful in a story about your beliefs because it doesn't make it about you. It humbles you. It makes it about the sage. And then connect those beliefs to why maybe that might matter to the audience that you're yeah. there for. And so, you know, this is a really simple yet complicated and in some ways uh, way to build trust is don't overthink this one. I opened up, right? I shared my Papaw story. That's my, it's, it's part of my why story. I talked about yep. problem solving and I talked about hard yep. work and you know, th yep. those are beliefs. And if you were listening actively, following along, I was activating your emotional empathic network along the way and creating visuals. And, and you were probably going, well, I believe in hard work and, and I believe in problem solving. You weren't saying this consciously. Your subconscious was saying, oh, they're like me. He's right. like me, therefore he's safe. And then when you can connect that to something that's meaningful to the audience, such as, hey, problem solvers rule the world. When it comes to persuasion, sometimes it can be really difficult to overcome our own mental hurdles to be able to be as persuasive as we'd like to be. I'm going to help you solve that problem. Now yep. you're open because it takes us straight into step two. Yeah, demonstrating, okay. demonstrating empathy. 
And so mm-hmm. once I've connected with you, shown you some vulnerability, shown you some authenticity, shown you that I'm just like you, like we're just human to human, I'm trustworthy, I'm safe, I'm not risky. Now let me show you that I actually care about you. Because mm-hmm. in, in, like you and I have been trying to do for this whole, the reason this whole week exists is because of your passion to help other people solve specific career problems for them. Yep. And not just career problems, but even personal sometimes problems. And you have yep, a passion absolutely. for that. And it comes through everything you say. It comes through with all of your, even your LinkedIn spots and your marketing collateral and everything you do has nothing to do with David Morelli. It has everything to do with helping as many people as you can help themselves you know, further their careers or further their lives or further their relationships, yep. right? Especially That's now, empathy. right? Absolutely. Yep. So the reason that you're listening to this right now is because you were attracted to David's empathy for you, that you recognized he seemed like a trustworthy guy. And now he's talking about the things that you're trying to think about fixing yourself, which is how do I be more influential? How do I have more impact? How do I figure out how to work in a, in a virtual world when I didn't know how to work in all of these areas? You're like, oh my gosh, he totally understands what I need. So empathy. So then your audience, what do they need? Where are their problems? Which takes us to the third. So if you trust me, and then you believe I care about you, number two, the third step is how do you position the problem? This is key. Yeah. Because ultimately, if you're trying to get me to buy your idea, buy your service, hire you, that's me choosing that as a solution. Yes? Yep. I'm with you. To what? Okay. To the problem. So step three is there has to be a clear and concise problem that I immediately go, yep, that's a problem. And I have it and I need help with it. Yep. And so if you, you understand the problem, them, here's what I hear is you understand them so well that you understand the problem that they have and that they're trying to solve because you've created the first two steps. Correct. Right? You, Absolutely. You've bridged the gap. And so, yep. Absolutely. Now, in a, in a group environment, you might think, well, the problem might be, okay, well, we don't have enough leads in our pipeline as a company. And so the marketing team gets together and they're going to talk about, I got an idea. You might say, well, the well, Joe over here in the chair, it's not his specific problem. Well, then there's multi-layers to a problem and a great influential persuasive communicator can state, here's the problem at large that's impacting all of us. And now yeah. here's the implications to each of us in this room. Yeah. If you can do that, everybody's got their antenna up, they're alert. They're like, I like David. I trust David. He understands me. He cares about me. And he ain't lying about this problem. It isn't just a group problem. It affects me personally. Then now guess what? I'm actually leaning forward in my chair, waiting for step four, how you're going to serve me by solving that problem. Yep. When you can articulate that and tie it directly back to the problem, which ties directly back to what you know about me and my goals, Yep. Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm eating it up. I'm ready to go. Let's yep. go. When, when do we yep. start? What's the timeline? Where's the roadmap? Let's put this, let's put this idea into practice. Yeah. Uh, and so those four steps, it's, let me rewind on it real quick. Yep, so create yep, connection, yep. personal trust, yeah. step one. Yep. Create that empathy, which drives that awareness that you care about me. Step number two, yep. position the problem that you believe or know that I have, that you know that you can help me with. As number yep. three, and then come in and solve it in a way that's meaningful to me or to my group. And now you've got the recipe for persuasion. That's awesome. And, and I know they have that formula in the workbook, right? So they can follow along and follow along the questions that go along with it to, to sort of dig into this. So let's take, a, let's take an example, right? Just let's take one of the, the, the prime examples. Like you've been sort of building some of it through, but uh, let's say you have an idea for a new process that you want to introduce to your group. Hey, we should, we keep doing whatever, we should do something else, right? Let's say it comes up because you have the pain yourself and you want to pitch it, let's say, to your boss. And so uh, walk us through how we might do that, right? What's, so step one, you know, we start building the, maybe the why, it sounds like, the empathy, yeah. the, sorry, empathy is second, but the, the first part where you're starting to build that trust and relatability. Yeah. And I think here's a good example. So a lot of you might be in the situation out there where you've got an idea, but what you have to do is you have to go in a meeting and you have to get it funded. Exactly. Yep. So you got to, yep. you got to get funded somebody with time, in. energy, you know, all whatever. that stuff. Agreement. Whatever. Yes, you can do this or whatever. Yeah. All of those things. Right. So, so everyone's personality style is different, but when you yep. know your own why, what you can start to do is you can start to connect the dots into say, all right, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you a quick analogy of a time when my papa asked me to dig a ditch. 
And I'm going to give a little story that's actually my why still woven into that. It's, it's subtle, yeah. but it's woven into it. I'm going to yeah. tell a little, a 30 to second to 60 second story about digging a ditch when I was growing up and what I learned in that lesson um, around using a shovel versus using a backhoe or whatever. I'm going to use an analogy in my own life that where I learned a lesson around the problem because I didn't look at it the right way to start with. Yeah. You're sort of contextualizing before you start. Yep. 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 Okay. But I'm still personalizing it and I'm showing a little bit of that. Anytime you share something personal about yourself, period, it still shows vulnerability to to the subconscious brain. Yep. So, so then, then I'm going to pivot and say, now, I feel like in this room, all of us have been walking around here with shovels and pickaxes, um, and it's really causing everyone a lot of extra pain, a lot of extra hours in the office, a lot of extra conflict between us mm-hmm. and our suppliers. And what the reality is, is we need to move from shovels to backhoes. And yeah. now, now, now everyone's going to be like, oh my gosh, she's so right. I've been working long hours and I've been doing so much work and there's so much conflict. Right. So I've now have a dr- empathy. I've shown them yep. that I've see that I see you, I see you. Right. Yep. And, yep. I, and I yep. recognize yep. you now I'm going to say, but here's the real problem and what it's costing us. And now I'm going to yeah. lay out the contextualize the problem itself. I'm going to call yeah. it out and I'm going to quantify it to the group yep. and then say, so what, what can we possibly do about this? Now I'm, they're all primed up and saying, let's go, bring it. Now I can provide my idea as, a, as an alternative to everything we just talked about. Yep. And then when I, if I can juxtapose that idea against alternatives and, and then show yes. how it's different than other ideas, I'm yep. going to win the, the lion's share of those conversations because I have personal trust. People like me. I communicate in a different way. They, they understand what I'm saying and they remember what I say. And I'm yep. using stories a lot to, to help them ease their stress around understanding. And then I'm giving them a yep. solution that actually solves the problem for the masses. So that's in an idea setting, right? Versus an yep. interview or versus a sales setting. Here's what I love. Uh, you just took that question. Well, how do you apply this logic thing? Because you just blew up 90% of what I was going to say, right? That, that sort of problem that we talked about is you wove in, you activated the network, the emotional network of the brain through your story, through your why, through your empathy, right? Like, oh yeah, we don't want pickaxes and, you know, whatever. We want the back, whatever, like however you frame it, right? Like right. he's so right, right, right. And, and then you build in and here's the problem. And it starts to bring in a little bit of logic, but it also combines empathy in that. Right. And then here's my solution, which it sounds like can be a very logical solution. The brain is probably also yearning for, like, yeah, I'll adopt anything you say because- you're, if you back it up with logic, then there's something in the brain called, you know, in psychology called confirmation bias. I'm looking for evidence to support the decision I've already made. And in this case, the decision I made emotionally is I want to be persuaded by you because you've connected with me. Right. Is that fair to say? Uh, absolutely. And I think the key there is, you know, trust. And then is the problem that you're injecting in step three, do other people yeah. believe it's a problem? I mean, that's, yeah. that sometimes can be an issue. If you don't articulate it in a way that looks like a problem, it could just be that you know, if you keep giving a game message, and I know you know this, uh, Daniel Kahneman and Amos Traversky, they won a Nobel Prize with the prospect theory. Yeah. They found that the brain yeah. will, will, will attend to a decision-making at twice the urgency to avoid a loss as opposed to pursuing a gain. But yet most yeah. of us go in with this beautiful gain, 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 gain idea message. Well, what happened? You skip step three. You didn't, yep. you didn't position the risk of loss in the form of the problem. They had people going, yep. yep, I believe that. That's a problem. Yep, absolutely. You know, here's, uh, I know we're, we're about ready to wrap up. Um, so uh, I love these steps. And obviously, again, you know, you can use the workbook as many times as you want, right? Like do, do your thing over and over and over again. And also, um, I know that there are certain actions that people can take. And uh, one of those, obviously, they can find out more about the stuff that you have and, and all that uh, as the, there's a link in the workbook uh, for that. But if we were to take um, an action, right? If we were to, to create a quick action plan, what would that quick action plan be about how to take what we just talked about today and actually make it happen in our lives. So, so here's what I'd say. It's, I, I'm a fan of doing it both personally and professionally. So what I would say right now, if you're listening, I want you to come up with two different examples. Uh, one example, and it could be as simple as saying, I'm going to convince my wife where to go to dinner tonight. <laughs> it could be as simple as, as an exercise personally like that, or I'm going to convince my kid that they need to spend less hours on Xbox, whatever. 
Uh, and then I want you to think of a professional uh, situation. Maybe you have a job interview coming up. Uh, maybe you have a sales call coming up. Maybe you just have a meeting coming up. I want you to follow through and say, okay, well, what do I hope to accomplish from a persuasive standpoint with this example? What's the outcome that I desire? And I'll run it back through the filter and say, is this a self-serving one or is it one that's going to actually solve a problem for other people? Then follow the roadmap in both cases. Because if you find what will happen is your brain will start to to, to create these new neural pathways where this becomes yep. a lather, rinse, repeat for you. Anytime yep. you start to communicate, you'll start to think to yourself, okay, have I created trust? Have I created empathy? Yep. Have I positioned a problem and did I solve it in a unique way? Have I created trust? Have I created empathy? Yep. Did I position a problem and did I solve it in a unique way? You'll do that. You'll, your brain will just get into that cycle. So try that with two exercises, personally and professionally and build that out and then try it, go, go deliver it and see if you don't get better results. I love that. You know, I have to say, um, I am incredibly grateful to you because we all have things that we want to communicate. And if we can't get those ideas across, it is incredibly painful. And I feel like you've given us the, the salve, so to speak, to, and the formula to move forward and actually have what's in us, the value that we have to offer to have that come across. So um, Jeff, thank you so much for joining us, but also the work that you do. I know that you help, you know, hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of people in the, the work that you do and beyond. Um, so thank you for, for doing the work and all the hard work that has gone into uh, pr- putting this together as well as all the work that you do. So um, I'm incredibly grateful for you joining us and uh, thanks. Thanks for being here. It's my honor. Hope it helped. Awesome. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I Offer You Some Feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.